time now for another episode of Pats from the Past, brought to you by who but WB Nation, your one-stop shop for all your business needs. Matt Smith, pleased to be joined with Brian Worry, the Executive Director of the Patriots Hall of Fame, presented by Raytheon. And who better to talk Pats from the Past, Brian, than one of the members of the Patriots Hall of Fame, number 57 on your scorecard, but number one in your heart, the great linebacker, Steve Nelson. Nelly, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, Matt. It's good to see you as nice, always. Nice Brian. to be seen. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. How's life? Tell everybody what you're doing right now, Steve, for Patriot fans who want to know what's Steve Nelson up to these days. Well, for the last uh, last 15 years, I've worked for uh, Lighthouse Computer Services out of Lincoln, Rhode Island. And uh, now we've kind of transitioned to Spyglass. We sold off our IBM part of the business last year, and now we're kind of we're concentrating on our Microsoft uh, business and uh, we're a gold partner of Microsoft. Uh, something, uh, Matt, I'm telling you, I am not very technical. So every I, I'm in these meetings, I'm listening to acronyms and there are all these acronyms going on. I'm trying to figure out what the acronym stands for. <laughs> so by the time I, I kind of get like, if there's a five letter acronym, I got two of the letters, you know, they, um, they, uh, we should have told you that's a rule, Steve. Yes, that's generally yes. a finable offense when uh, uh, to have your phone on, but we'll let it go this time. First time offense. Yeah, so I, I, I'm just trying to figure out the acronyms, anyways. And uh, but it's been really great, and uh, met a lot of nice people. And I work for, like I, we were talking earlier, I, look, I work for one of my best friends. So it's it's been very good. Do you like it? I do. I, I like interacting with the people. What we I, and again, there's no stress. There's no. You know, I don't have to make certain numbers and and uh, make certain phone calls or whatever. So, so you like this business better than the restaurant business you went into <laughs> after you retired with Phil and Kite? That was a different deal. That was a different deal, Brian. That was that was interesting again. And it's it's not a business to get into if you've never been in a business before, because you know, obviously, there's. Uh, you don't realize how many partners you have. And you got to make a number in that business. Yes, you do. Doc and Nellies. Doc and Nellies. But you, you don't realize that one of the bartenders is, is your silent partner. He silently takes money. And <laughs> you don't know that he did it. But, that, again, that was fun, too. That was That's and, a brutal you know, business got, for that. I yeah. got uh, – you know, I worked with uh, Bill and Kytus and my old teammate. So that was cool. But uh, – you didn't kill anybody, stuff. did you? No, gosh, no, no, no. no I, I, not, not that I know of. <laughs> I mean, like but the food one thing, and we were I, I don't about mean earlier. murder. The one thing, Matt, that that one thing I do remember and it was very uncomfortable was when Orthwine was getting his group to buy the Patriots. Uh, we boycotted Budweiser then, you know, as a just to get publicity. It wasn't, you know, we weren't doing very well, so let's get some publicity. You know, it was, we're boycotting them, you know, but AB and uh, I happened to have a really good friend who. Uh, ran the distributorship in uh, Massachusetts, and he'd done me a lot of favors, and I felt awful. But I was like the minority minority owner, so I didn't make – I wasn't making the calls. And uh, you know, he called me, and he goes, what, what are you doing? You know, you're talking bad about Budweiser and all that stuff. And I goes, no, it's not me. It's, you know, it's my partner, Link, you know. And uh, so it was very uncomfortable, but it was uh, interesting. Mm, that's interesting. Tough to stay in business, too, when the Patriots games, you can't even show them. They were blacked out, right. absolutely. We, we <laughs> used to sneak some feet in once in a while and then get a letter from the league saying, you know, what are you doing? But Well, here's one that my guess is most Patriot fans who follow the team and everything probably don't know this about Steve Nelson. And let's start at the beginning. Other than it's in North Dakota, where is North Dakota State? And how do you get to New England, Steve, from North Dakota State? Like, that's not – it's not George. It's not Alabama. I'm surprised at such a well-traveled guy you are. <laughs> you would have, have to ask that question. You know, North Dakota State. When I was when I was you know going to school there, we were the third largest nuclear power in the world. 
We had all those missiles pointed at Russia. At sure. <laughs> so if we were seceded from the Union, you all would have known where North Dakota was. But uh, yeah, it was it was um, the best decision I ever made. I, I grew up outside of Minneapolis, and uh, I got recruited by Minnesota. And I had a kind of an incident at Minnesota during my recruiting trip that I really turned me off. It, you know, the, the coach basically called me a different name, and I'll tell you the whole story. He brought me in and sat me in front of him and his big desk he had, and he said, son, if you come to this school, we'll beat Ohio State, we'll beat Michigan, we'll go to the Rose Bowl, we'll be nationally ranked. And then he said, come here, I'm going to take you down to the, to the, uh, to the field. And we walked down the stadium steps and got down to the bottom, and he said, can't you hear 80,000 people chanting, go Pete, go Pete? I said, coach, my name is Steve. He goes, oh, yeah, that's right. Go Steve, go Steve. So I kind of figured out that I wasn't that really highly recruited guy he wanted, and I went to North Dakota State, which was uh, the best thing I ever did. Great that, culture up there, I'm incredible in culture. That what a, that's a good decision, by the way, to not go to that school if they don't know who my name is. <laughs> like, what am I? What and am I and doing? the coach and, is probably giving that speech to multiple people no if he kidding. can't remember the name. No right, kidding. right. So Steve. Take us through your draft situation because back in 1974, and while scouting was was a big deal, you know. Again, North Dakota State, my guess is, is not necessarily where you're going to find a lot of football players. So somebody had to you're do right. some work on Steve Nelson, right? And they had they had a, a I don't know what they, they call them. They had com, they didn't have combines, but they had they had a group of teams that would get together and share the scouting. So uh, they had. Blesto was yes, one of the sure. yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, so they came around and, and they did all the physical things. You know, they, they time you and you do some you know lifting and do some you know footwork and all that stuff. Um, but I uh, again, I, I played on really good teams, and I had uh, Ron Earhart was my my head football coach, and he, when I was a sophomore, he he said, you know, you've got a chance to be in the NFL. And coming from him, who I you know, man, I really respected. I I took that to heart, and I really kind of focused on. Not just graduating, but you know, giving it a shot, and um, uh, I was very surprised. I, you know, I, the Vikings brought me down during the uh, fall because I had hurt my shoulder, and they wanted to look at me and, and make sure the shoulder was all right. And they, they kind of, they were a very good team at the time. And you know, one of the guys said, you know, we're thinking about making your first round draft choice, and they were going to be drafting thirty second or thirty first or whatever. Uh, but that didn't happen, and then I got drafted by the Patriots, uh, number thirty four in the second round. Well, so. Fargo, North Dakota, Fargo, his coach, and really maybe your your benefactor Absolutely. or your mentor to say this guy can play in the NFL. That's pretty interesting. Who then, by the way, comes along and, and coaches you in the pros later on. So And was the head coach here. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm saying is there a bigger Steve Nelson fan maybe than Ron Earhart, or is how instrumental was Ron Earhart making sure that Steve Nelson huge. played in the NFL? Matt, it was huge, you know. And I'm, uh, you know, uh, coach has passed away, and uh, he was probably outside my dad the most significant coach I ever had. Wow. You know, I, I not even questioned about it. Wow, wow. Through college, and then you know, with early times with the uh, Patriots, I, I know he had to kind of change his style because. You know, back in college, he'd grab one of the running backs and kind of shake their, you know, grab them by the mask and shake their head and trip them or whatever. Well, you know, when your running backs are Sam Cunningham, you don't do that. So <laughs> Ron had to kind of change his, his uh, modus. But, uh, yeah, he was a great coach and, and a, a great man. And, and obviously, I'm very thankful for all the things he did for me. And Chuck Fairbanks hired him here, right? He did. And so what was it like playing for Chuck Fairbanks, who really, you know, Bill Parcells gets a lot of attention around here for sort of helping to change the culture in the early 90s. 
Chuck Fairbanks really did that here in oh, the early seventies. Absolutely, absolutely, and I think uh, I think Coach, Coach Fairbanks uh, he he had a great coaching staff, and I kind of I think kind of showed all the players that um, he was willing to have guys who knew more about positional play and, and you know coordinating offense and defense than he did, and he wasn't at all intimidated by it. You know, he he wanted guys around him who were smarter than he was. And uh, I think in this business, uh, that doesn't happen very often. It's no, but you know what it is, Steve? Success, it's, 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 it shows you that that person is confident. A- absolutely. Right? He's yes. not worried he about the He knows who he is. Right? Yes, absolutely. And he, he, uh, he didn't say a lot. Of, you know, he wasn't a, a guy that would, would say a lot of, you know, have a lot of stories or, you know, messages for us. But you knew who was in charge. And he, uh, you know, he made it known that he was the decision maker and, uh, that's when in, back in 78 when he you know decided to move on to Colorado and he came in and said you know I'm the head coach through the playoffs we all knew that he was going to be gone so we, he didn't have that same you know stick that he had before you know so it was uh you know that was unfortunate uh you know for for all of us players and and for all the coaches too because you know we had a good team at that time we had home field advantage in the first sure. first playoff game and just didn't get done you know a person on that staff I think I'm right on this, so please correct me if I'm not. But a person that staff that Patriot fans today are very well aware of is Ernie Adams. Yes. Right? Yes. What were your impressions, you know, as a player on that team with Ernie Adams, who was just a young kid back then, wasn't he? He was. He was. Uh, Ernie was, uh, you know, when you, you look at a bunch of guys and you, you look at one guy and you see him and, and he looks like he's out of place. <laughs> that, that was kind of Ernie, but Ernie was obviously Ernie. Uh, he brings a lot to a coaching staff, and uh, again, I think it was because Fairbanks, you know, again had that insight that he is going to make a difference on his staff. That he got, he got Ernie. So Ernie worked for Chuck. He worked for Bill Belichick. Works for Bill Belichick. Can you compare? I know you haven't played for Bill Belichick, but he certainly brought some of those Chuck Fairbanks defensive philosophies. Are, are part of Bill Belichick's defensive philosophies. Can you compare the two at all? Well, I think, I've, you know, one thing, Brian, too, is they both they both were the uh, – had all decisions on personnel. You know, uh, back then, Chuck was a GM as, as well as a head coach. And one thing he was really good at was finding players. Uh, you know, his first draft, he got uh, Hannah Cunningham – Daryl Stingley, you know, he, he really knew how to get good players. Stanley, and, Raymond, all yes, those guys. And, and I think Steve Nelson. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, Belichick's like that too. You know, I think he's got a, um, he knows the X's and O's, but he also, uh, and I think Bill is much more. You know, he's so he takes a deep dive in the, both sides of the ball. Where Coach Fairbanks, you know, he ran the wishbone at OU, and and then he came up here and he hired you know guys who run to install a professional. Uh, offense and defense so uh obviously their 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 backgrounds and everything else you know bill was a background in pro football you know chuck was a college coach so it's it's different in that regard Uh, but there's a lot of similarities on the way they put things together how they formed their staffs what they thought was important and uh they're both very uh they ran like a business you know and that's what you got to do as much as you'd like to you know develop friendships and relationships with players it doesn't really work out well in the end because you know they get slow. You know, players their talents get reduced and everything else. And you gotta make tough decisions. It See, ends for everybody, right? It ends for everybody. Yep, right. absolutely. Steve, you rattle off a bunch of names. Um, today's Patriot fans are spoiled. 
You know, they've seen six Super Bowl championships. They've seen some unbelievable teams, teams that really absolutely should have won the Super Bowls and maybe some teams that got caught people by surprise. But you rattled off some names, Hannah Stingley, uh, Sam Cunningham, Raymond Claiborne, Mike Haynes. Mike Haynes. Yeah. That 1976 team, I can tell you, as some, as a kid growing up in New England, always will have a special place in my heart. Can you tell the fans out there how loaded that team was and how good? That was a team. What was the score when you beat Oakland at home that year in the regular season? I think it was 46 to 10. Right. I know it was a blowout. No, that, that, right. that, was, that was a Super Bowl, Super Bowl score. Right. <laughs> by, by, by the way, yesterday was the, the, the uh, anniversary of the Super Bowl oh, game. Oh, that's Super coming, Steve. Don't right, worry. Right. <laughs> We'll get to oh, that. January 26th. But you, you beat the bag out of the Raiders in the regular season, Steve. That team Dominated. was so 48 talented. to 17. Right. I was at 17. that game, by the way. I remember it as a kid. I was sitting in the end zone. Yes. And then we play them out there. And, uh, you know, they got a, they lost one game all year. Right. And that, that was a game they played against up, us uh, up here. And we went out there, and we just matched up against them. And we just we – just, and we had Russ Francis, you know, another guy. Yeah, you had Russ Francis, Leon Gray, John Hanna, Bill and Kytus. I mean, those are pretty. That's pretty good side of the ball. Absolutely. You know, and, and then again, it was um, guys like Cunningham and Donnie Calhoun and Andy Johnson, and so it, a lot of really great players. Um, but that was that was one of the things that that's I'll I'll you know there's not 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 a lot of things I remember about playing uh outside of my teammates and stuff like that but that's one game that I'll, I'll always really regret the outcome of because it was not right it was just you know it was an awful call at the worst time of the game and uh third and 19 third and 19 third and late 19. in the game roughing the passer on ray hamilton. ray hamilton now let me ask you a question we call it the phantom roughing the passer sure when you do you ever watch that play? Have you watched it since? Oh, and yeah. do, and do you think it would be roughing the passer today? Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, absolutely, it'd be roughing the passer. If he breathed on him, it's roughing the passer. <laughs> yeah, today. yeah. I yeah, mean, absolutely. he did get a hand to the head, but right. it wasn't like a. It oh was, no, it was inadvertent. It's right. kind of following through on. Yeah, right. yeah. It, yeah, it wasn't. It, it, it was and, like and, I'm trying to block the pass. Hey, you, you would you'd play, you'd play against that team, especially they were playing. Right. You know, when when the ball is thrown on one numbers on the other side on the other hash mark. A guy like Tatum or Atkinson is clotheslining a guy who's just running down the field. Right. You know, so it was a different, you know, a whole different game back then. But that was tough. And, um, again, I think uh, when when I was on that team, I was, you know, this is my third year, and we had, you know, had Steve Grogan was a second-year quarterback, and he had Russ Francis, a second-year player, and, and, all and again, all these great players. And he said, well, we'll get other shots. And it didn't happen. You know, so it really that's that's what really kind of hurt. You mentioned Steve Tatum and Atkinson, Brian. I didn't have this in my notes, but it's hard to talk about Tatum and Atkinson and not bring up the other person that Steve mentioned a little while ago. And you talk about tough things, Steve, is seeing what happened to Daryl. That that uh, I think that was probably at the time the most uh, traumatic thing I ever went through. And uh, you know, I, again, I've been very lucky in my life. You know, and, and but. That ride, we, we got on, you know, obviously we knew Daryl was severely hurt. And uh, it happened in the first half, and they got, you know, we played the game, and Coach Fairbanks, he said, don't shake their hands, get to the locker room, i got to talk to you guys. So we just immediately ran to the locker room, and he told us how, you know, Daryl, you know, the, the first kind of prognosis of Daryl's uh, situation, and Daryl's going to stay in the hospital, obviously, out there, and he's um, – 
you know, coaches, I think he said a couple coaches are going to stay with him. And then we got on that plane flight. You go from Oakland to Boston, which is four, four and a half hours. And we got to about Las Vegas, and we had to turn around because of engine failure mm. or something wrong mm. with the uh, plane. So now it's just more thinking about Daryl, and I can, I can never, I'll never forget how quiet that plane went. You know, no one was talking. It was just, it was just dead silence because Daryl was a great player, but he was a better person. He was just such a, just a, you know, a person. When he came into a room, they all, you know, started smiling because you know he was, you know, going to be kind and nice and everything else and and smart and and uh great player great athlete um and great teammate and it was just the worst thing that you can possibly imagine and then what the family endured was you know couldn't imagine you you talked about roughing the passer with ray hamilton and you know i sort of mentioned like how that would be been called in today's modern nfl I mean, for Patriot fans out there that aren't familiar with it, and you, I'm not, I'm not advocating to go and look at the video, but if you see what you happened with Daryl Stangle, fame and see it. Um, I mean, that person would probably be incarcerated today, Steve, if something similar happened in today's game as to what happened. You That's know, how violent it was. Yeah, you know, and it was a preseason game. Right. You know, and these two guys were veteran players. Right. You know, you'd think you'd have a little you know, oh, respect for the other player and not take it, you know, you don't, you don't. He doesn't see it coming and all that stuff. So, yeah, that was. Uh, you can't see that play at the Patriots Hall of Fame. Yeah, I thought you were talking about the roughing the pass. No, 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 no. I'm My talking bad. about. I'm talking about uh, Stingley. Yeah, we don't have that play. It's it's. Here's a guy who had a phenomenal NFL career, you know, and is talking about all the blessings that he's has in life and no regrets or anything like that. And to this day, to hear that something like that, that Daryl Stingley. It stayed with him mm-hmm. and affected that team. How could it not, Steve, have affected that team? Right? Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, uh, when Daryl uh, made his first uh, return visit to, to the stadium, I don't know if you remember that. We I played, do remember. We played the Steelers on yep. Monday Night Football. Yep. The next year. Yep. And in the wheelchair, waving to the crowd. And no, they would not stop cheering for him. Right. And you know, we're all saying, you know, cheer forever, man. This he deserves it. You know, and uh, but that was really. Um, I tell you, he, he's what he, uh, how he turned his life around after that incident and, and, and made such a positive impact on so many people is, is awesome. And I, I think is, I think I, the kid that plays LSU, for LSU now, that his grandson? I'm not sure what the relation is, but I think it's a family relationship, yeah, I think so. isn't it? I, I think I Googled it at one point during right. when I saw him playing. And I think, yeah, I think there's a relationship. And he was there. like the number one cornerback coming out of high school. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the disappointment of 76, and I don't want to say that it was a window closing, but if we look back in hindsight, maybe that's the case. You know, in 78, were you floored that Chuck came in and was the team floored that Chuck came in and said, hey, by the way, I'm going to Colorado? Yeah, that was uh, – that was uh, – that really divided the locker room too. I mean, that was you know, guys who were kind of, you know uh, – Supportive of Coach Fairbanks and his decision to move on. And, uh, you know, I guess there had been some type of button heads with the Sullivans or something. I don't know. And then the players who were really, uh, you know, thought he was, you know, walking out on us. And and so there's a real division in the locker room. And uh, and the Sullivans, you know, they, they, first of all, they suspended him. And the last game of the year was a Monday night game in Miami. And that was – 
you know, we had no head coach. Ron Earhart ran the offense, and Hank Bull ran the defense. And, you know, we had two pregame speeches by each of them. It was like an audition. You know, who's going to be the next head coach? Kinda. Oh, God. And then at halftime, we had two coaches making adjustments, and then – uh, so it was kind of a, you know. You don't stand a chance against Houston then, Steve, do you? No. I mean, how do you get that team together ready to play? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, you know, and it, I think if um, it would have been a more of a skill on skill game, you know, but they were, you know, they were Earl Campbell run the ball 30 times. Yep. So it was more of a, you had, you had to be, you know, physically and mentally into it to, to play uh, well against them so yeah it, it was tough to come over but again and and that's the one thing you learn you if you have an excuse to lose you'll lose you know and and that's that's a lot of coaches don't want to have any excuses to lose because they know how players think and that's your mentality sometimes and that one was put on a silver platter for you guys basically yeah right yeah so then ron Herhart takes over you later play for ron meyer raymond berry Talk about the different head coaches that you had. Uh, you, you spoke about Ron Meyer, uh, Ron Earhart already. Ron Meyer, you know, I, funny story. I was doing radio down in Providence, and we had Ron Meyer on the radio, and he was talking about Billy Sullivan. And this is his words, not mine. He talked about lining up at his grave to piss on it. <laughs> so that's the relationship he I, had with the owner at that time. I assume that was after he got fired. <laughs> oh, this was like... <laughs> Two years ago. <laughs> well after. And Coach Meyer's no longer with us, by yes, the way. Yes, he's no longer right. with us. He was uh, – and again, it was it – was, um, you know, I, I got I to tell one story, though, that about that, that Oakland Raider game. And uh, we had – Russ Francis was a tremendous athlete. And he, I think he – What did Howard Cosell call him, Steve? He, the uh, all-world. All-world tight end. All-world. All-world tight end. And was that legit? That was close, you know. That Casper, and you know, they had some other good ones around. But uh, he also, I think, was a national record holder of the javelin. Throw. Yes, correct. So he could throw a football 65, 70 yards in the air. And we had this little tight end reverse pass. You know, he had one receiver, you know, kind of stock block and then run like a post. And Russ would get this tight end around like and really sell it like a running play and just throw the ball as far as he could and then had – you know, the, the receiver run under it. And uh, I remember Russ runs the play, and we all knew it was coming, and uh, he hesitates. And then he really doesn't throw it. He kind of runs it and tries to, you know, tries to, he tries to act like a quarterback, you know, and, and he gets, gets tackled, and he comes off the field. It was a third down play. And one of the coaches goes, what are you, what are you doing? He goes, I was reading the coverage. <laughs> <laughs> But that's that's Russ. That was Russ. That, you know, he was he was very serious. He took himself very seriously. Right. And then he later on broke his nose in the game, and he came off the sidelines. And, and Steve Zabel grabbed his nose and said, "You know, you know, shoved some cotton up his nose and kind of straightened out and said, get in there. We need you.' Absolutely. And Russ grew up. Um, Patriot fans today, understandably, Rob Gronkowski going into the Hall of Fame whenever his time goes, he'll go in on the first ballot and everything like that. Was Russ Francis Rob Gronkowski before Gronk ever came around? I might not have had the brute strength maybe that Gronk had, but wacky. I tell you, yes, yes. <laughs> and unbelievably talented, yeah, right? They had they had their own deal. I mean, they were, they were individuals. Um, I watched Gronkowski. I'm just amazed that a guy he – just, he just uh, – I'm sorry about that. Uh, that's a fine. <laughs> um, this, these, new, these new electronics kill me. <laughs> but I think, uh, I think at the time – 
there was no one like Gronkowski. I think you know he can run those seams and and, and it's, it's just uh, you know and Russell's a lot like him, but I, I just they you know I take Gronkowski just from the mental aspect and, and Russ didn't like to practice. Russ kind of had his own thing going. I love Russ, but Russ you know kind of did it his way, and he was a great talent. But uh, Gronkowski's just such a better player, I think, my my opinion. So, flip to your side of the ball here. Talk about tight ends. You were an inside linebacker in an era where the running game was certainly more prominent than the passing game, although that probably changed later in your career when Marino was was coming of age. 17 career interceptions. Now, would a player like you and, and you know, I was young, so forgive me here. Would a player like you even be on the field for three downs today? And and why why were you so able to be so effective in coverage? Because you're known as a run stopper. 207 tackles, 1984, 1776 tackles in your career. How patriotic! But yeah. 17 interceptions. <laughs> yeah, I, I um, to answer your question, no, I, I'd be like a one or two down player right now. And uh, um, but I, I, you know, most of my interceptions were in zone defenses. You know, I was not a great man-to-man cover guy. I, that's, again, the way the, the game has changed so much now, you, you know, they kind of just you got five eligible receivers and you try to spread them across the field and then run patterns that, you know, uh, the quarterback can read and, and, and then distribute the ball. So it was a much different game, you know. And you look back at those those stat lines, Brian, it was like, you know, I played Joe Nate against Joe Namath, you know, I think he threw the ball 11 times the first time he played against us. You know, he's like six for 11 for 94 yards. And it was kind of a typical day, you know, and, and when you saw that stat line, you realize how bad you got beat too, because all they do is run the ball. Right. Um, so yeah, it's a much different game now. And um, you know, I, I like watching, I, I, I really do enjoy watching and seeing the athletic abilities guys. Uh, but I, I, I don't think it's strategically like it was before when you had to set up the running game, then you ran play action off that, and then you, you know, you didn't. All these personnel categories weren't, you know, weren't like that back then. You may take a tight end off the field and put a wide receiver in, or you take a back off and put a wide receiver in, and it's not the five wides and all that stuff. Do you appreciate a team like San Francisco who sits there and goes, "Hey, we're we're averaging six yards a pop." Oh yeah. You know what? We're just going to continue to run it. If yeah, you can't and- stop it, then we're going to run it. Right. And I, I, I think they Sick really. Sick and you as an inside linebacker that you don't stop it. But if you can't stop it, we're just going to run it down your throat, right? right? Right. And you really break them. And I think that's what you saw against, uh, you know, uh, and I, I don't know what the, the Packers were doing. You know, I, I thought for sure they, they stopped, you know, make Garoppolo beat you. And, uh, but yeah, back, back in the day, it was much different. And, um, you know, again, players, you, you adapt. Obviously, you adapt because the college game has changed so much, and, and the pros have taken a lot from the college game, too. So you, you kind of, you know, would adapt, I assume. But uh, to answer the original question, I, I'd be a one- or two-down player. Is, is, it just, is it just that the game isn't as physical in that at the line of scrimmage, generally speaking, today? I mean, back when you, you're talking about teams routinely – lined up and ran the ball. Your 1978 team ran for 3,156 yards, a record that stood until this season when the Ravens broke it because their quarterback ran for over 1,000 yards. But you knew that was coming, and yet sometimes you couldn't stop it. Is it just a matter of sometimes the other team just is more physical, breaks your will, breaks your spirit? Yeah, and I think, again, it's – you know you. 
back when I played, the emphasis was on being physical and running the football, establishing the running game. And, you know, in our conference, we in our division, we had, you know, O.J. Simpson. You know, we had a lot of marquee backs. And um, defensively, what you first thing you did, we practiced, was defeating a block. You know, and in the offensive line, instead of pass pro, they did run. They did they learned how to run, run block. And, you know, the different schemes, run blocking. And that became a real priority. So I think when the priority on, from the offensive line went from running the ball to throwing the ball, I think the defense priority kind of changed from, you know, taking on a blocker and defeating a block to, you know, kind of what happens when it's it passed. Do I have a man coverage? Do I have a zone? Do, you know, what do I do? So I think the kind of whole the whole change uh, philosophically of, of, of the offense um, kind of just changed the whole thing. So we're, uh, you're listening to uh, Pats from the Past podcast, Matt Smith, Along with Brian Morin, we're joined by Patriots Hall of Fame linebacker Steve Nelson. This podcast is brought to you by Who But W.B. Mason, who delivers all of your business essentials for free with no minimum order, break room furniture, facilities, maintenance, office supplies, and so much more. For the fastest delivery of business products, nobody does it better than Who But W.B. Mason. Okay, Steve, uh, my fault. I apologize. I bring up Daryl Stingley. I bring up the loss in 76. I bring up the loss in 78. So let's talk about what I got to believe. I brought up his failed restaurant. Um, I got to believe is <laughs> Super Bowl twenty. You want to bring up? No, no, <laughs> not, yet. not yet, not yet. Your happiest moment, and I see the picture of you standing on the sidelines, looking up um, and saying, "New England, we love you." Squish the fish. Yeah. Which up until two thousand and one was the greatest moment a New England Patriot fan had ever uh, experienced at that time. Yeah, I talked about these things. You say, oh, I regret we didn't win in Oakland. And, you know, too bad about 1978. Can you describe how great it was squishing the, fi- f- squishing the fish and breaking the Orange Bowl jinx that year in the AFC Championship game? Well, I think uh, obviously it was, it was, a, it was the best uh, team victory I've ever been associated with. And just from the history of it, because we had never beat them down in, in, in um, Miami. Uh you know, how important the game was, the AFC Championship game. And what was so cool about that, it was the third game in, in, in the in the playoffs. We had beaten the Jets on the road. We then went out and played the Raiders out in Los Angeles and beat them. And then we came back and played the um, played the Dolphins. And I think because we were familiar with the Dolphins and we're familiar with both really the Jets, you know, we played them twice a year, and the, and the uh, Raiders, we played them also, uh, you know, the familiarity really helped us. And uh, but the one thing I'll never forget was the crowd, man. It was seemed like it was, you know, 50 percent New Englanders down there and they were loud. And, you know, they're going through the whole experience like we were, you know, the first time we were in an AFC championship game. You know, let's we win this. We're in the Super Bowl. And, and uh, so that was it was so uh, kind of inspiring to me that just so many people were down there cheering us on and and. Uh, you know, again, it was it was a, a game that we we just matched up well against the, that that team. You know, we didn't match up well against the Bears, but we matched up well against the Dolphins. Right, but you said as a young kid when you're in, playing against Oakland, oh, you know what, this group, we'll get him again. Right, we'll get him again. And on the flip side of that, you played against a guy who's a Hall of Fame quarterback named Dan Marino, who had gone to the Super Bowl the year before in his rookie year or second year or something like that, and oh, Marino. He'll go back. It's, it's going to happen with him. He'll go back, a, you know, a hundred times. 
And you guys stopped him in the AFC Championship game. The guy never goes back to the Super Bowl. Steve. I know. There's nothing guaranteed in this game. No, it's not. And, uh, you know, that that's probably the greatest example of a guy who played early. And then, like you say, he played another 15 years with Duper and Clayton, you know, two great wide receivers and never had a chance to go back. And so it, it is very special. And, and uh, that game was incredibly, just incredibly cool because uh, Raymond Claiborne, played the best game I've ever seen in one player playing a game because he took Duper or Clayton, the guy who lined up on his side, man for man, all day long, and we just kind of pushed the defense towards the other receiver and kind of doubled everybody else. But but Raymond was on an island and just played incredibly well. And, uh, you know, I, I the, one really great debate, and I think if you t- talk to a bunch of teammates, they probably wouldn't know the answer to it, but – you know, was Mike Haynes a better corner than Raymond Claiborne? Wow, and, that's a big statement, Steve. And I, I tell you, I played—you know—I played again with them both, and they both were incredible athletes and everything else. Raymond Claiborne just didn't know how fast he was. I mean, he was—he was as fast as he had to be. He's one of those guys that you know, his coverage—he'd be like a rubber band. He'd you know, be five yards off, and when that ball was in the air, he would just—that—that that, he just collapsed on that wide receiver. And uh, you know, they—they they both were. Long, they were they were they were great man to man guys. They 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 tackle, uh, you know. I think Raymond Claiborne has the record for returns as touchdown returns, kickoff returns, tied for the franchise league with interceptions. Yes, with Hall of Fame cornerback Ty Law. So that's pretty good company. Yes, right. Yeah. yeah. And so Brian, that gives you an opportunity to then. I mean, today's Patriot fans, no disrespect, you know, they don't know who Raymond Claiborne is yet. Three years ago. You know, when Claiborne was on the ballot and tough competition with some of the recent guys, you know, who've played and won Super Bowls, you it was heartening, I would think, for guys like you to see, you know what, the fans actually gave Raymond his due and realized that kid belongs in the Patriots Hall of Fame. It is. It is. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I think you uh, said it very well, Matt, because, you know, he does deserve to be in it. And uh, when you have the success you had, obviously, with, with the team in the last 20 years and, and players are retiring and they've, you know, they've won three or four Super Bowls, they've been on three or four Super Bowl teams, uh, that's that's quite a bit for uh, your resume. And uh, it was good to see Raymond get his due because he, I tell you, he played, I think he played 15 years. And he, he went to Cleveland for his last year, which – I you know it always kind of looks weird when a guy plays his whole career with one but with some team and then he you might see that. Yeah, here's <laughs> my lead in right now. Well, What's going to happen? What could you be talking about? And I know he was, he was talking about Stanley. He was talking about Stanley Morgan going to Indianapolis, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Or Joe Namath going to Chargers or no the Rams. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. O.J. Simpson going to San Francisco. Do you remember that? <laughs> yes, I do. Ugh. All right, so we get by the joy of Miami. Let's talk about Super Bowl twenty. You had beat. You had lost to Chicago twenty to seven early in the year. Miami had dealt them their only loss of the season. I think on Monday Night Football. Correct. Late right. in the year. Did you guys feel like you had a real chance going into that game, or was it we're going to have to? Do something special here to beat this team. You know, I I, I thought we had a real chance. You know, and I, again, you know, we played them in Chicago twenty to seven, and um, you know, defensively we played pretty good against them. And our offense didn't have a lot of things going on, but uh, I thought if we got a couple breaks, we could beat them. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, you know, it's it's 
we couldn't we couldn't kick field goals. We had to make touchdowns. You know, all these little things that you you have to do to win. We just didn't do it. We weren't you know capable of doing it that day. So that's why that first drive. That's why that first drive killed you. Ball goes off Morgan's hands on either. You know, so you get the turnover on the first series of downs. Yep. And hey, bang, we're in good field position here. Let's go. Ball goes off Morgan's hands. I think that was first down. Lynn Dawson. Breaks his leg on second down, you know, and then you incomplete pass on third down. All right, well, you kick a field goal, and you're saying you can't kick field goals against this team. In fact, my my memory of that game more than anything else is I don't – is when we line up to kick the field goal, Tony Franklin with the barefoot kicks the field goal, and they put up a stat on the screen like the team that scores first has won seventeen <laughs> out of nineteen Super Bowls, whatever the number was. And I was like, yes. And, you know, then, I, and then they scored forty six unanswered. Oh <laughs> man, that was that was a long day. It was. Uh, but my dad, uh, you know, my dad went down from Minnesota. He and my mom went down to watch the AFC Championship game in uh, in Miami. And uh, he likes to put a little money on the game. So he said, what do you think? I said, Dad, we match up with Miami. You know, I can't guarantee, obviously, a win, but it's going to be a great bet. You know, so he wins a couple bucks. Two weeks later, we're in uh, New Orleans. He goes, what do you think? I said, geez, Dad, I, I think we match up with these guys pretty good. <laughs> what are you going to say, Dad? I think we're going to get hammered. Right. 44 points. You know, make the bet. So, Steve, hindsight's twenty twenty. The NFL is celebrating this year, you know, it's 100th anniversary, and it's the best this, it's the best that, and they talk about best teams. You've got a pretty good perspective on this. You, you know, we're talking about, geez, you're going to talk about 46 to 10, that was the Super Bowl score. Are they the best team that you can think of that you played, that 85 Bears team? Uh, probably. They had the best defense, you know, and it's remarkable that they never won another Super Bowl. It's, yeah. You know, it's just crazy because that year they played i think the rams in the playoffs and they just destroyed they destroyed everybody but then the next year they come back and and i think doug flutie quarterbacked one of their playoff games in in the next couple years because mcmahon was hurt right really yeah yeah i I, you know and um it's a fragile it's the fragile nature of it steve it's hard to keep it together it's when you look at this team and see what they've been able to do for 20 years it's just so remarkable because it's richard dent it's um Otis Wilson, it's that defense. Mike Singletary. Singletary. You know, how many Hall of Famers, NFL Hall of Famers are on that defense? How do they not just come back and stifle everybody? You're right. I mean, everybody wants to get paid. Everybody's the reason why we want it. You know, Buddy Ryan leaves, you know, and so it's just tough to keep it together for so long, right? Yeah. And, you know, Walter Payton. Yeah. You know, who, incredible player. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it is tough to repeat. And I think once you smell and, and get that success, you know, it becomes more difficult. But even back then, though, there was no free agency. Right. right. So it was actually easier to keep it together. Keep, keep yeah, team, you right. just wonder about, does the attitude change? Is there some sort of, do you lose a little bit of that How do we get fire? here? Kind of deal? Yeah. yeah, because you've won it and you and you get a little arrogant and cocky and maybe you don't. Maybe you used to come in at 6 a.m. and now you come in at 6.30. Right. That kind of thing, you know? Right. So you, I don't yeah. want to leave the witness here, Steve, but you mentioned Walter Payton. Who was the best player that you ever played against? Uh, the best runner I, I, I played against was Earl Campbell. And, you know, I, I, I was, uh, you, know, you know, we talked about our just our division. You had O.J. Simpson. You had John Riggins. You know, you had some really outstanding backs, but – I think Earl Campbell for that three or four year window 
you know, he was just something else. He was just he would he he took that team on his back literally and ran. You know, and and uh, you know, Bum Phillips is give the ball to Earl. Give the, and they had you know Tim Wilson, Ice Wagon Wilson was his lead back, and you know you knew where they're going to go. You know, but it was just uh, you know, we played them one time out here. I think it was it might have been the playoff game, might have been just a regular season game, but it was fourth and short. And you know they're you know they we're going to run. You know Wilson's you know they're in a kind of an eye offset eye, and Wilson's going they're going to run right behind Wilson, and giving the ball to Campbell. And so I back up about four or five yards. We're in short yards, and I said I'm going to hit hit him right in the face this time, Campbell. And uh, they had a wing on my side, and the wing went in motion, and the, the safety went with him. And instead of going around that second layer of defense like you're supposed to, he went in front of me. And kind of hit my face mask, and the ball was snapped kind of at the same time, and I kind of readjusted, and uh, here comes Campbell running at me full speed, and I go, "Oh God!" And it's amazing how fast your mind can can think because I'm, I said this is going to be on every highlight show ever. He's going to run right over me, you know. And luckily, Tim Fox kind of came and hit both of us, and we kind of kind of fell to the side because it would have been really ugly and embarrassing because he would have literally ran right over me. <laughs> that I mean, that's pretty high praise. Who's the best runner? And he's sitting here and he's talking, you know, mentions Simpson. I mean, O.J. Simpson was a great, great NFL player, yet he's talking Earl Campbell over O.J. Simpson. That's that's pretty interesting insight there, Steve. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned, you know – so. T- if if he gets run over though, right, you become Brian Bosworth, right? Exactly, right? You know, and, and yeah, that, with all the perks, with all the perks too, right. you know, right? So was was Earl the best player you ever played against, Steve? Or as you're thinking about it, is there an offensive lineman that you think was a was a tougher matchup for you, or a better player, or somebody like that that you can think of, you know, as far as best players that you ever played against? Uh you know, I, I would I would think in that short period of time, Campbell was wow. most most dominant player. You know, he was just uh, and and Pittsburgh had some players. I mean, they had like seven or eight Hall of Famers on that team in the seventies. You know, they had they had three linebackers that all went in the Hall: Andy Russell, Lambert, and Ham. You know, they had Je- Mel Blunt, they had Franco, Lynn Swan, John Stallworth, Terry Bradshaw. So you, you know, saw they, Mike Webster. You would have gotten Webster. How about that for a draft class? That was my year. That the Pittsburgh had Mike Webster. He was like a ninth rounder. Swan was the number one. Lambert was number two. Stallworth was number three. They had Donnie Shell. Just got into the Hall of Fame. Did Donnie Shell get in the Hall of Fame? And then, he, I can't remember. I think in that who was uh, in the Centennial class? I think Donnie Shell might have just gotten in. In that uh expanded Hall of Fame class. I'll let you look that up. Okay. So best player you played against. Best player, I'm not saying necessarily teammate, best player that you played with? John Hanna. Yeah. Don't even hesitate. No, nah, he just, he was a special, special player. And he, uh. Do you think today's Patriots fans have any appreciation? Uh, Tom Brady is, might be the greatest player, might be the greatest player that's ever played the game and deservedly gets all the accolades. But when you say John Hanna is the best player not named Tom Brady in Patriots history. Yeah. That's a fair statement, isn't it? I think so. I think, you know, you can argue Gronkowski maybe at his position too, but but John was just such a, a you know, he had such individual ability, and then he was such a team player, and he, uh, 
he was he was one of those guys that you know if he didn't play perfect you thought he played bad badly he wanted to play the perfect game his his, his goals were so much different than most of us you know he he was and that's that's why he was such a different player than we were but john was uh man he, he was tough what was practice like steve against full him? School, full speed you know back then again when we run when you run the ball again you play a lot of nine on seven and you don't have a lot of guys on your roster you know you don't have any type of pup team or whatever so you you're going against their ones you know quite a bit and, and it's all about timing and so you got to go full speed to get your timing down and you know, when you got you're taking on Cunningham and you're taking on John and you know and Leon and all those guys, it's it's all day. And um, but John was special. John was just uh, he just just the best the best player I I mean I I ever been around. Having to go against him in practice every single day, did he make you a much better player because of that, Steve? Oh yeah, I used to get mad too, Matt. I used to you know Olay him. He'd come firing out. You know, I'd give him the old Olay and. Have him fall down. He'd yell at me, and then I then I'd signal from some rookie to come in, you know, take my place, and he'd go in there and not knowing what was happening. And John would come off and just you know nail him. And but yeah, it was uh, he made that play, playing against that whole offensive line. That whole offensive line was was great, and you know they set a record obviously with the rushing yards. But uh, yeah, it was good. So okay, so I tell you, one guy who could block was Russ Francis. Oh yeah, Russ. We played we played the Cowboys one time, and Henderson was their outside linebacker. Was giving Russ crap before the game, and he's just you know I'm gonna chew you up, Francis, you pretty boy or whatever. Well, Russ went into the locker room and he got the uh, tape with the rolls of tape come on and put, aluminum foil. Put it in <laughs> he wasn't a goon. He wasn't a goon. But he wasn't a Raider, <laughs> But he put him on his fingers and taped them all up and went out and just just chased. I tell you. Henderson, you know, wish he had never said a word, just been invisible because Russ is absolutely, you know, played not like he usually plays. You know, when, when the ball's away from him, you'd give, you wouldn't take the down. But Russ was – Russ filled his potential up that game, and he was just incredible. Okay, so I, on that note, cold weather games up here in New England. Do you play better if you don't wear sleeves? Like, what's – why is it so tough to just not wear sleeves? Well, I, you know, I think, again, where I came from, you know, Brian, it was it was that weather and, you know, around Halloween, it was, we get snow. So it was, uh, I was used to that. And I didn't want to slow myself down either. This added stuff on me. But you told me a story once about a, a guard for Miami late in the season. Oh, yes. Share that with us. Ed Newman. He came out acting like he was, it was a tough, it was a tough day. I don't know what the wind chill was, but he came out. And, was it the John Smith game, was it? Uh no, it wasn't okay. a John Smith game. Uh but Ed and he was Ed was a good player and he came out and he didn't have any uh any you know, just bare arms and he was big and you know, he he warms up and uh he goes in the you know, before the game, comes out with sleeves on <laughs> and stuff because you know, it was it was colder than he thought he was and he you know, he wasn't gonna be uh make the statement that he thought he was gonna do. Yeah, that was that was in the in that John Smith kickoff, that was a great game. Yeah, three points in a, in a professional football game. I think it's the lowest total ever. Right. And another great memory is Steve Nelson as the as Mark Henderson is driving the the little John Deere out to clear the spot on the video. Nelson looks over it and he pumps it like three <laughs> times, pumps his fist like, "Yes, we got this." Yeah, Coach Shula got the home field advantage. That. Right. <laughs> so, Nelly, you've uh, decided um, you played your entire career here for the Patriots. You've decided to make your home. 
and your family's here in New England. You've stayed in New England the whole time. I'm not here to bash the, this, this group of people, but you mentioned briefly, you know, the Sullivans. You look at what this franchise has become as you've lived your post-football life right here in New England. Do you get a little jealous maybe? Do you wish that the stability that exists with the franchise today had existed when you were playing for the Patriots back then? I wish we were getting the cash they're getting right now. <laughs> <laughs> you Touché. Know, I, again, I think, uh, I think for me it was, it was a perfect, uh, perfect spot to land uh, out of college. You know, it was uh, – the uh, stadiums in Foxborough, which is, you know, a suburb. And uh, for me, I felt more comfortable. And, no, I, I the Sullivans were, you know, they did the best they could. And, and uh, you know, I, I have the utmost respect for the family. Uh, and it was good to see when, when you know, the Crafts bought the, the, uh, the franchise that they had been fans at one time. And so they had something invested, you know, just not capital, but they had kind of feelings invested. So, um yeah, I don't get jealous. Yeah. Good. Good. Can you are you are you amazed at this franchise? Amazed. Totally. Amazed at this franchise that you played with and you talk about man, we went to the Super Bowl and you know how great the AFC Championship game is Miami. Like they went to the AFC Championship game, Steve, until this year, eight straight years. It doesn't happen in this doesn't game, happen. does it? No. So are you amazed at the success that the that this organization that you laid the groundwork for, by the way, you're part of the foundation. You're why the Crafts bought the team. Because, you know, if it wasn't for guys like Steve Nelson and Steve Grogan and Sam Cunningham, there's no Patriots asset that Bob Kraft wants to buy. You're you're the reality of why he wanted to buy that. And now look at what they've done, taken that foundation and built it what it is into today. Well, yeah, and I, I appreciate that. I think, um, you know, this fran- I, no no team's going to see this you know score of years twenty years that the Patriots have enjoyed and, and um, you know it it comes when a coach was there came you know coming in and a, and a player and the you know the debate which which guy uh, is more important and I I personally think they complement each other you know that's I don't think there's one guy more important but yeah this. Our area is so spoiled with all the sports teams. And, again, it was, uh, you know, I got some buddies back in Minnesota, and I call them Loserville because they're the last major franchise, major city that has four franchises to win a championship. You know, and I'm talking about the, you know, the six times the last 20 years the Patriots have won, the, you know, the Red Sox, their success, the Celtics and Bruins. You know, back there, the Twins and Vikings and not, not the North Stars, the Wild now. And right. uh, Wolves, they haven't won it since the – 80s. So maybe I asked a question wrong. I asked if you're jealous um, that you didn't have the stability when you played. Um, are you prideful, Steve, that this team that you put so much sweat equity into has now turned itself into and you could say, you know what, I I played for that franchise and I'm proud to have played for it then and I'm proud to see what they've developed into today. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I was I was always proud to be a part of, of a, you know the Patriot family and uh, I, I – um... I'm just amazed at these players and, and, you know, their ability to come up week in and week out. And, and when you're in a, you know, a single elimination tournament, which the playoffs are, you know, the success they've had and, you know, not having a bad day. And, you know, like, like the Ravens had this year, you know, just shows you how just zeroed in they are and how well they're coached and, and uh, the commitment on the, of the players. But yeah, it's, it's, it's been great. And Steve, you know, we, we love still having you around. You come over to the hall of fame quite a bit. How does it make you feel that the fans 
still come out and really appreciate what you did as a player, even though today's team has all the success as a team that it had? Well, I, I think that uh, it, it tells me how how educated the fans are. I mean, they they you know they know what happened in the seventies and eighties. They know about Parcells coming in the nineties. They know Pete Carroll. They know everything that happened. And um, you know, I think they're really educated fans. And I think for a while they kind of got a bad rap about being football fans, being new in New England. Because again, I think because the success of the Red Sox and the you know. They had Celtics, other teams Bruins, for, you know? right, right. And uh, but they got really good football fans out here, and uh, you know it was, it was a great place for me to land. And uh, I'm just so grateful I was, able, I was able to go in, come in as a Patriot, and go out as a Patriot, and uh, that worked out for me. Do you get a Do you get it daily? Do you get it weekly? Where you're running into whatever you're doing as far as business concern? If you're going to the store, you're going out to eat. Hey, that's Steve Nelson. That's, Once in a while, yeah. That's number fifty-seven. Yeah. Do you I, like it? I do. I do. I do. And, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of fun to be recognized once in a while. And when the NFL Network did the top 10 Patriots of all time a couple of years back, you were number eight. I had to feel good. Yeah, I did. You know, and again, I don't, I, I don't really care, you know, about, you know, because it's all personal opinions and stuff like that, you know, so it's, you know, I, no control over it, you know, I just, but, um, and, and it's, 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 yeah, just to be included in that group is, is, I'm I'm very proud of that, but again, it was, uh, you know, people's opinions. So, Patriot fans, go to YouTube, look for number fifty-seven, right in the middle of the field. Not only is he in the Patriots Hall of Fame, but he's probably one of the classiest players to ever wear a Patriots uniform. One of the best guys to ever run through this franchise. Steve, it was a pleasure talking football with you today. Thanks you know, so much you know, for joining Matt, us. And- you know, when I was transitioning out of this game and doing some stuff for Channel 5 with you and Lynchy, uh, that was really special for me. You know, you really, not only professional, but you're just a good, classy guy. And, and, and Brian, you too. You just, the way, you know, you've taken the hall and made it what it is. It's, you should be very proud of yourselves. And, and um, thanks for having me. You're kind, but how great is it that we can sit here and just talk football? with one of the greatest players to ever be in this franchise. Nobody's luckier than us, right? <laughs> awesome. Nobody's luckier than us. Steve, best of wishes going forward. Thanks, Good to see you. All right? Thank you for downloading this podcast. Subscribe on Apple, Google Play, and everywhere else you listen. Like the show? Please rate and review us. Listener comments and ratings help keep us high in the podcast rankings so new listeners can find us. Be sure to check Patriots.com for more news and more podcasts.